You're listening to Redefined the Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Mahalik, leadership coach, human design mentor, and status quo disruptor. This podcast is dedicated to stepping outside of the boxes the world tries to put us in and finding new ways to see and experience life and business. Each week, we'll push the boundaries of the way things have always been and explore new ideas around how to create our most soul-aligned and pleasure-infused lives. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to myself and my guests as we understand life through our own unique lived experiences. I'm always open to your thoughts and perspectives and welcome any feedback should you have any. Thanks for being here and let's dive in as we redefine life, business, and spirituality one conversation at a time. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Redefine the Podcast. I have an amazing guest here with me today, a great friend of mine, as well as a client, Dr. Andrea Leifer. Andrea is a doctor of physical therapy and lymphatic system specialist, as well as an online accessibility consultant. And we've been working together for, gosh, nearly a year now, I think. Um, And so welcome to the show, Andrea. Hi, thank you. I'm so excited to be here to talk with you to see what we talk about today. I am so excited to have you here too. We always have the most interesting conversation, so I'm excited to have it recorded so people can listen in. Um, so that's like quite a mouthful of credentials that we just rattled off there. Doctor of physical therapy, lymphatic system specialist, an online accessibility consultant. What are all of those things for people who are like, what does any of that mean? And um, how did you get into some of this work? Sure. So I always say I'm a physical therapist by trade or by training. I've been doing that work for eight years now. Um, I was led to that for my love of teaching and being in the health professions. It seemed like a great way to bridge kind of those two or merge them for myself uh, to be able to educate patients, to be able to help them advocate for themselves and still be able to be in a variety of different settings within the healthcare system or outside of it as I am now. In terms of my specific specialty, the lymphatic system, I got into that pretty early into my physical therapy career from a patient suggestion. I think I had been working for about six months, very green, kind of seeing anyone from four weeks old to like 94 years old in New York City in the Upper West Side. And if you know anything about Manhattan, you know that to get from the West Side to the East Side, especially the Upper West to say Midtown or in the 30s on the East Side can take quite a bit of time, 40, 50 minutes by train, if not longer by car with traffic. And the patient I was seeing had a lymphatic system issue called lymphedema, where she had had lymph nodes removed due to um, breast cancer treatment and surgery. And the only clinics that she was able to go to to care for this were on the east side. She lived in the neighborhood where I was seeing her for orthopedic issues, kind of brought up, hey, can you treat me for this? And I got curious. I looked into it sort of fell in love with it, ended up pursuing certification as a lymphedema therapist and went right, you know, into that. It's uh, an awesome, again, kind of merging of all the things that I love advocating for patients, uh, fluid dynamics and physics, plus um, just some really cool hands-on techniques that I get to bring to patients, as well as a lot of creativity and arts and crafts at times. Uh, to help with different compression stockings, compression wrapping or bandages, similar to ACE bandages, but a little bit different if you've ever seen those. And so I really loved that field and have been pretty consistent within that uh, over the last eight years. Uh, More recently, I was reminded by you actually of previous work I had done before PT school and kind of someone I had forgotten that I used to be or had been or or a skill set that I had. Um, You kind of go through all this schooling and training to become this one thing and you forget potentially who or what you had done before that. And I had done a fair amount of work in 
disability research and um, legislation advocacy prior to PT school uh, at a university in my hometown, as well as through an AmeriCorps program. And bringing that back up kind of reminded me how much I love that work, how much that mission was important to me and how much it still relates to the work I do in the lymphatic world as well. It's, it's all connected and it's all been part of my bigger drive. And so with accessibility, it's just looking out for where's room, where's there room in your business, whether it's online, whether it's in person for someone to show up as they are without being made to feel like their needs are too much or their needs are too expensive or their needs are too difficult to meet. Um, and Sometimes it's very simple things. It's free things. Other times it is things that a business owner might need to kind of eat the cost of for the user experience. Because, for example, with individuals who are hard of hearing or deaf, not having a live sign language interpreter and only offering other options like, hey, can we, we can only do this through text, really devalues the service you're bringing, really kind of doesn't give the experience um, to them the way that it would be given to anyone else who is hearing. And so thinking about those things, bringing that into consideration um, is really, you know, important in terms of the work I've done, the work they will be doing. And so it was really awesome in conversation with you that that reappeared um, in my life and kind of remembering all the different pieces of why I got into physical therapy in the first place and, and the work I had done and the work I can continue to do. Yeah. And I know that when that conversation came up, you know, it seemed so crazy to me how there were so many things that you were kind of pointing out that were something that as business owners, we should be thoughtful about, or we should be aware of these gaps in the way that we naturally show up as able-bodied people who, you know, can have a quote unquote normal user experience. Right. Um, and that until maybe we have a client come in who has, you know, is hard of hearing or deaf or has some sort of disability, you know, whether that's, um, food and dietary restrictions or allergies or things like that um, for on retreats and like these kinds of things that need to be thought of that like I would simply just never think that hosting retreat that I might need to be cautious of time outside or you know laying in the grass or things like that because I don't have a grass allergy so I would never think that it would be a problem to lay down in the grass or to spend a lot of time outside around grass or things like that right I don't have hay fever I don't have big seasonal allergies so spending a lot of time outside is not bothersome to me and I would never think to note that on a sales page that much of this will be held outside or to put that on an intake form. If you have any allergies, I would probably mostly just be looking at food. A lot of awareness there because I have difficulties with food, right? But that sometimes it's, there's these ways that we can just enhance the experience. We can love our people better and show them that we care for them and that we think of them and that we want them to have the best experience. And really like an, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I want to say like equal, but I feel like that's not quite the right word, but we want them to, everyone to have the same level of experience, regardless of if you need, you know, if you have a special need or not, that needs to be accommodated for. And I just had never really thought about this because it's such a blind spot, which for me was kind of like, oh, that's so interesting because I feel like there's been so many conversations about making sure that we're creating safe spaces based on race and ethnicity and all of these things. And now suddenly, thanks to 2020, we're all hyper aware, right, of those conversations and making sure that as particularly like a white practitioner that we know how to hold safe space for people of color or, um, you know, there's all of these different ways that we're so so careful. Trauma, being trauma-informed is such a huge conversation, but we're not having conversations about 
what if you have a client who is blind or deaf or simply hard of hearing or you know, like we said, a myriad of different physical issues during retreats and things like that. How are we accommodating that and making our work accessible to everyone? So when I heard you talking about this, I was like, why are you not doing this? Like, this is such a missing piece, I feel like, particularly within the coaching industry. Um, so it just like made sense. Like, why are you not helping people with this? And I immediately think I threw all my money at you and was like, get on a session and tell me all the places where I'm fucking this up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's for me, it's fascinating having my own health challenges and having an unpredictable body and having a grass allergy, for example, in addition to some other more serious things that coming into it as a client and like, say, you know, being somewhere with you and saying, wow, this like faux grass is like artificial grass is fantastic. I can sit outside and not be distracted by being itchy or like have to take Benadryl and be a little bit fuzzy or, you know, different things to modify my internal environment because the external environment may or may not be able to be modified. And so those are the things like we can look at as kind of what externally can be modified so there's less of an impetus for the individual to have to change themselves or, or modify themselves med- medically or otherwise so that they can really have the full depth of the experience. And so for me, I get excited about fake grass. Other people are like, we can't ground. It's not real grass. And I'm like, cool. But like, this is the first time where like, I'm not itchy outdoors. So like, let me have this joy and this experience for myself. Um, and it's, it's definitely interesting looking at retreats or, or kind of different things that are showing up in the coaching or spiritual world of that's something based on how it's presented that isn't accessible to me. That's not an option, whether it's the climate or the amount of activities that are done or the lack of apparent downtime, um, you know, having different levels of heat intolerance, for example, can be a huge issue amongst individuals with chronic illnesses and, having a lot of outdoor time can be a problem or lack of climate control. And that will limit people from being able to do in-person activities. Um, And so 2020 has been great in terms of bringing online spaces and online retreats and virtual things kind of to the masses, to people who couldn't necessarily access all of that um, or certain coaches because they were only doing in-person events. And it's, it's been interesting to see as the world opens back up in various ways, what options exist in person, hybrid, or kind of only online still and, and what will shift and change. And if people even realize kind of what they're making inaccessible again, by letting go of certain facets of their online practice that they pivoted to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes even just a clarity in what is involved, particularly in those in-person events, right? Like what is involved? Are we hiking? Are we going to be spending massive amounts of time outside? Um, What's the kitchen situation going to be like? What is downtime? What is optional versus mandatory? And is there grace within the environment to go rogue and do whatever I need to do and not participate when it doesn't feel good to participate? Or am I going to feel bad or shamed or awkward for that or in any ways? Right. And even I think, you know, clarity about that kind of stuff, because like, there's nothing worse than showing up somewhere and not knowing that maybe there was hiking or a lot of physical activity or tons of outside time, maybe in places, you know, like on the beach per se, where there's maybe not shade or restrooms that are super accessible or some of these things, right. And not knowing that and paying for something and then going and being confronted with that could not only be emotionally harmful, right. To someone, um, or physically harmful if they decide that they don't want to be the weirdo not doing things. And so you try and push through cause you feel bad or, you know, and even talk, creating a space where you're open for feedback and where your, your people feel safe to come to you and say, this isn't working for me or I need this accommodation and having 
it very clearly laid out who that point person is that if you need something, if there's something that is not working for you, who that is and making it known that like you're open and available for those conversations and that someone doesn't have to feel like they're being too needy or too much or complaining because they have a need that's not being met by the way that something was structured. Right. Yeah, it's, it's definitely been interesting for myself to navigate that as I've come into having more needs for my physical body and in turn emotionally as well um, to be able to enjoy experiences. And like when you have, you're newer to having certain, you know, conditions, or even if you've had it for a while, depending on how receptive the individual you're making these asks of is can be really difficult to have a conversation and say like, Hey, what's the plan or Hey, what does this involve? Especially when you and I both have seen in coaching spaces and other places where people say, like, if you ask me questions, I assume that means you're a no, or we've seen these weird affronts of like, I only want you to like, you know, come to me if you're ready to pay me versus like, I need to know a little more information. Like, is this space going to meet my needs without me having to make my needs known every minute of every part of our work together, because I'm already doing that in the, like, as you like to say, the muggle world, I do that often with my own family. I do that in the day-to-day life. If I'm paying you thousands of dollars, I don't want to have to repeatedly make my needs known. I want to, you know, have a place to share what I might need so that you're not caught off guard. And I'm not expecting you to be perfect and to know every single thing and predict what, you know, I might need or someone else might need, might need, but that I can approach someone. And I think the approachability to say, these are the things I need to know if they're happening or if they're not going to happen so that I can prepare. There's a big difference between like sitting on a rocky cliff and sitting on a beach. If you have chronic pain, right? Like I would bring a pillow to one and the other would mold and form to me for the most part, as long as the sand is soft enough, you know, that sort of thing. Um, But there's a difference. And so just kind of saying, well, we're going to the ocean without other, you know, another preface or, or disclaimer or kind of more information that could be a very different experience for me in terms of meditating or listening to a speaker or a facilitator of a program, because I'm highly distracted because of how uncomfortable I am beyond just like, oh, this is a sharp rock, but like, no, like my leg is on fire because yeah. of how I have to sit because we're on weird rocks um, versus somewhere else that I can kind of adapt the shape of the environment to meet my own needs better, say sand or a couch or what have you, or I can kind of move around more easily. Yeah. So I think having, you know, that from the get-go, from a sales page, from an enrollment conversation, right? Or an intake form, having these places where we can say like, what, like, what are your needs? What are your questions? And like, here's the plans, right? Because, you know, as you stated, if we're clear about we're going to this rocky area as opposed to this beachy area, right? Then if you know that you can make an informed decision about how you dress, what kind of shoes you wear, which may be very different, right? What kind, If you bring a pillow or a blanket or something to sit on or a beach towel or something like that, or if you choose not to go at all, right? And also being willing, I think, as a, a creator or a space holder, to be like, okay, you know, and on this day we're going hiking or whatever. And if that's something that you're unable to participate in fully, then you know what? We'll have a masseuse come to the house and you can get body work done if that feels good to you, or we can plan another activity for you while we're doing that. So it's not, you either have to come and push yourself or you have to sit here and be like, they all went hiking without me because I don't have the physical capability. And then you have to feel bad or left out. But like saying like, here's this other really enriching experience that we're going to substitute for you, right? But you have to have those conversations and you have to be able to create the safety for people to come to you and sometimes share what can be vulnerable and uncomfortable things to share, right? That's not always an easy conversation for people to have to say, hey, these are things that I know most people can do, but that I'm not able to right now. And that's not always like, 
the most exciting conversation that you want to have with someone, particularly if you don't know them super well, if they're someone who's newer into your spaces. Right. And this, you know, it can be quite pervasive in terms of kind of what we don't realize our needs. And especially in these really vulnerable emotional spaces, when you go on coaching retreats and you're digging up your shit, basically, and, you know, you're really like opening up yourself to, to explore different things. Something as simple as, is there enough food for me can be a very Mm. difficult thing. Um, some people, when they're really stressed out, don't eat a lot. Other people, when they're really stressed out, need to like constantly have some food in their mouth. That would be me. Also me. We, we get along well in that reason, in that way, like there's always enough food. And if you don't have leftovers, like you didn't have enough food. I am like, I need carbs (laughs) to ground myself right now. I need like carbohydrates to anchor me in. Right. And so even that, which doesn't seem like an accessibility issue per se, but kind of speaks to a lot of body image, diet, you know, restriction conversations, just kind of things that are conditioned in us that we're so unaware or ignorant to for other people who may have the opposite issue. And so if we think, well, like, I didn't really plan for lunch today or our schedule's really full or go figure it out or there's food in the fridge. Okay. Like what are the rules around like participants being able to kind of just get snacks as they need was, you know, uh, enough of the budget like proportion to food where like, it's okay for the coach to have like food that gets wasted or donated afterwards or given to people to go on their flight home. So that someone didn't worry that they were eating too much because they eat more calories than the other humans there. Um, We see this a lot, you know, in different body shapes and sizes. And I'm not a size zero. I'm not a size two. I'm not anywhere close to those. But I'm around people that are. And I know that their calorie requirement to get through 24 hours is different than mine solely based on size, let alone activity level or what makes them feel comfortable and whole right now. And that can wax and wane day to day. But if I don't know that there's enough food for me and that like I can have a second portion if I need one, or I can have a snack at like two in the morning, if I wake up and need one, you know, then that can bring up like lack of, of safety, you know, while you're there. And so I think thinking about these things and just bringing them to light or having conversations about them, um, is, is really important and, and meaningful, impactful beyond just the, like, do you have food allergies? Do you have food sensitivities? Do you just need to have like food variety? Sometimes there are conditions where like you have varying appetite, um, And like, you have no, maybe few to to no food sensitivities, but it's more like you just need a variety of options and pre-planned meals. Like you can get through, but it's, it may or may not help you for, for whatever else you're experiencing. And so just having kind of knowing this is the menu, but there's also like this, that, and the other thing available. Um, Because like, yes, it'd be lovely to have like a private chef and everyone have their own meal made, but that's not like quite what the uh, budget can be for every retreat and every trip. And so kind of mixing that in and and having enough variety or options or, you know, sub out things for people that feel like this isn't the only thing, um, you know, that I have it in front of me and it's something that I can't eat or something that nauseates me because I didn't think to tell them I had a food texture issue because I didn't want to fill out a whole paragraph about all my different things, you know, on a coaching application. Cause is that like a huge red flag? And like, I don't get to come on this trip because I wrote like a novel about food, you know, right. it's, again, it's just different things. And again, I think, you know, a, I think that just having this conversation here for anybody who's listening is going to be so helpful because I think we're just giving a lot of kind of different examples of like when you're hosting, particularly since we're not talking now about like live events and retreats and things like 
that there's actually so much more to think about than we think there is and to take into consideration when we're bringing a lot of different people with a lot of different bodies and backgrounds and things like that together. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not sure that we'll always be able to perfectly accommodate everyone and to of a course. T, right? I think that that would be unrealistic, but the awareness, like I know the next time I go to plan an in-person event after having these conversations, like I will have a much different lens of what I consider to be factors in the way that I choose housing and activities and food and all of these things, just because now I have this awareness, right? As opposed to, I think that we in everywhere in life, we tend to kind of make a lot of assumptions that everyone is like us. And so everybody does things the way that we do and everybody's needs. And so we think about what I would want on a retreat and then we plan for that. And we don't consider that there are other people who really need the work and want to be there, but that might have different needs. And so I think that just just even having the awareness to, to start the conversations and make yourself available for conversations, you know, and maybe even a thing that like can just create safety, like feel free to, you know, DM me or if you have additional needs that you would like to discuss, here's a 30 minute calling. And we can talk about it and I can let you know if I feel like I can honestly accommodate you in a way that is going to make you feel safe or not. And I think for coaches too, being willing to say when you can't do something for someone, when you may not be the safest space and being honest about that so that you don't cause harm as opposed to trying to, because you don't want to, you know, turn the sale down or you don't want to seem like you can't, but if you're not confident in your ability to create a safe space for someone, we need to be willing to say that, but we have to make ourselves safe enough. The first step to creating a safe space for someone in an event would be to create safe space for them to tell you their needs in a way that does not make them feel, like I said, needy or too much, or, or like you said, oh, I didn't want to write it a whole paragraph on the application. Cause I thought they might red flag me and say, I couldn't come. Right. So now you're trying to, to hide your needs. And that's like, in theory, that's the exact opposite of what we're trying to do in these personal development spaces, right? And so like, we're already starting out on a bad foot. So like, I think, yeah, having something that's like, if you have additional needs that were not addressed here or that you would like to discuss, like, here's a 30 minute call link. Let's get on the phone and have a conversation about it. Yeah. And I think just like even the option to do that, I don't think like every single person is ever going to like click that link, but for the one or two people who kind of on the face for face value of what you're presenting may have been a no, but when they have a conversation with you can then be a yes, because you have all these tools and you understand it. You just, your sales page didn't kind of go into it, um, which often is the case with people. They, they can do more than kind of it, it appears because it just is a lot to type out to say like, right. This, that, we can't, we can't put every have... accommodation we're available <laughs> to make for any particular need onto a sales page would be ridiculous. But I think even just by saying like, Hey, I'm open to this conversation. If you have specific needs, like let's, you know, have the conversation and a place to direct that to it's really just saying like, Hey, I'm willing to work. Like I want you here and I don't want you just because I didn't paint something in black and white onto my sales page. I don't want you to think that you're not welcome here or that this isn't safe for you. Right. And I think that tends to be lacking kind of from what I've seen, just the room for conversation or feedback 
Um, overall, I think in certain spaces, it's very apparent and in others less so, or the method, you know, by which people want to communicate the lurkers who would rather do it at three in the morning and like not talk to at all and just type. And then people who typing and reading comprehension can get a little overwhelming for brain fog wise, based on what's been going on during the day and verbal communication is just easier. Um, or again, you know, further still individuals who, you know, need sign language interpreting live because that is the richest experience for them to communicate with. And, you know, are any of these things available? And in doing so, if you, even if you're out the cost of an interpreter for a free call, you're the person who made the appropriate effort. And that unfortunately is, is rarer. Um, I wish it were the norm and I wish it were the standard. Um, but how amazing is it that you, you know, asked about this. And I remember you bringing a point to me about this because someone had asked this in a space that you're in kind of about what to do or, or where to go. And it was just really great to see that that person was willing to take the steps to find an interpreter if one was needed and I think if more people were willing to have that in their resource list, whether or not it's ever needed, but that it's an option and that you're, it's not a scramble, mm. that you actually maybe know someone or at least that you're open to. I don't know any, but if you have a preferred interpreter you've worked with, or if you have an agency, like happy to coordinate that, whatever it is, that that conversation goes miles in terms of trust and, and an individual feeling safe or, you know, wanting to engage and work with you because it's not that people with different, you know, needs or disabilities don't have money to pay for coaching services. It's mostly that like what exists isn't accessible for them mm. and they're made to pay sort of a, a tax or a surcharge on their disability in, in most of their spaces that they're in. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think that's important too, is that that's a cost as business owners that we eat and that we take on, right? If mm -hmm. someone's going to come and join my mastermind, then that means that we have to have an interpreter come and sit on the call with us every Wednesday, right? Like the price that that person who has that need for an interpreter pays is not going to be different than any other person on the call. They're not going to hire that interpreter, right? I'm going to, I'm going to figure that out. Like you said, you can always say if there's somebody who you prefer that you like to work with, that you're familiar with and that you'd like to recommend, right? But, you know, there are certain things like that, that I think we can just keep in our back pocket that we may or may not ever need. But if we want to talk about healing and different way, different kinds of safety and accessibilities for, you know, different people. I think that it's important that we make that available for all people. Cause like you said, yeah. it's not that they can't pay for it. It's just that there's nobody who can accommodate them. Yeah. Right? Or it's not even and hinted at. There's not even a hint of, Oh, this might be an option because it's nowhere listed or the intake form or the sales page. It's not even like whispered about that. Like, if you need something, let me know, um, you know, that sort of thing, or the way that your sales page is written, is it going to flow well with a screen reader for someone who is blind or has low vision or a visual impairment, you know, just different things like that to think about. And if it's not even on your radar that these issues exist, then you're less likely to even leave room for someone to ask for, you know, their needs to be met. So I really want to know, uh, since we've, you know, been talking about your, your history and accessibility and we're talking about legislation and right. And being a doctor of physical therapy and, you know, a lymphatic system specialist, like how do you go from the medical world and from this kind of work, how did you land yourself into 
like coaching spaces? Ah, yes. Um, it was a slow progression for sure. I think it started when I started getting more curious about actually having a private practice in terms of physical therapy that I sort of just started getting into like businessy coaching spaces and like PT specific uh, PTs as business coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was kind of my first introduction to like people actually use what they've learned in building their own business to coach other people to do this. And I kind of like had a sense of it, but like my parents were our, you know, general kind of employees. My dad is now self-employed, but works for an agency and does the same ish thing that he did for the 35 years prior. Um, or however many now at this point, I might be missing another 20 years, um, based on the way I tell time, but basically, you know, there, it's not like my parents started a business or that was sort of entrepreneurship being like in my blood. I do remember going into PT school before I started saying to my mom, like, I'm going to have a private practice and you'll be my receptionist. And then, (laughs) right. Um, but then like private practice sort of got like dissuaded or like pushed out of like favor during PT school. Cause like, Oh, that's too difficult. You know, all this like lack and scarcity and you should like get more experience in a hospital setting first. It's very fascinating. Like what gets spoken to in graduate school versus like what the reality of the world is. Um, once you step out of kind of that altruistic, uh, version of, of what we're being taught. And so I kind of was introduced to that and then ended up working with a PT who was doing kind of business and personal or like self-development coaching through an Enneagram um, lens. And so through her kind of made my way into the more non-PT self-development, personal development world. Um, Cause I got curious about it and realized like that was building the business was not the issue. Clinical skills was not the issue. I was my own issue in terms of starting my own business and like taking a leap and, and leaving employment as I knew it, um, that it was not that like, I couldn't figure out how to make a PLLC. I could either figure it out or I could find the money to pay someone to figure it out. Um, that, that was, that existed. You ask the internet enough questions, you'll eventually figure it out or you'll get a fine because you did it wrong. But either way, like it will happen if you want it to happen. Um, how to, you know, bill patients privately or how to bill insurance. Like you can find these things out. That was never the issue. It was kind of like, why am I stopping myself? Why do I feel like I'm not ready? All the things that I just kind of was telling myself. And so what I came to kind of find in my self personal development journey is that I just, I wasn't the kind that could like leap immediately. There are some people that can just like quit their job today and like start their thing tomorrow. And that wasn't where I was nervous system wise based on my own life experience. And I just needed like a plan C before the plan B could happen or become the plan A, if that makes any sense, I needed kind of a landing pad or like a practice um, place before like I really made a leap. And then it ended up being that I leapt because it was sort of by force um, and there wasn't another choice for my own health and um, wellness with things that I had going on. But for me, it meant leaving the niche or niche that I was in stepping out of that for a bit, working at a different hospital system that was like less decision fatigue, less emotionally draining, a bit more healthier in terms of a work environment and and supporting kind of myself. And the goal with that was to then make myself a little bit more comfortable financially before I left employment as it were. And so that I think is kind of like what I needed to learn and why I was drawn to that work is kind of figuring out like what it was that was keeping me from this thing that I told my mom before I went to graduate school, this thing that I said in 2009, right? 
that Mm -hmm. took me until 2017 to actually start because I had to get out of my own way and uh, get out of my own head that I couldn't do it or that no one wanted to pay me for it or that because I wanted to do something different. It meant weird things about me as a physical therapist because I wanted to have people pay cash. Um, And I, you know, highly value the role of insurance as an accessibility standpoint. I haven't quite yet built it into my private practice, but it's something that weighs on me and that I toy with from a standpoint of people pay monthly premiums for access to a discounted rate and value what that contract with an insurance company brings them. So if there is a way where my services are also valued, why wouldn't I open the door for that? Even if it's an Mm. out of network sort of situation or that they can submit for reimbursement, Um, you know, but writing it off entirely, which you'll see in my industry a bit if anyone is ever in kind of the health professions and coached by someone within our own clinical profession to say like cash only and F insurance. And there's a lot of like angry language. Yeah. Um, Because yeah, insurance is like a whole hot mess and like made for profit. And yes, like we can be mad at it, but also to recognize that like people pay a lot of money per month or their company pays a lot of money for them. So they also want to be able to use their benefits and they deserve good care regardless of how you feel about the system. Right. Don't, you know, it, it's kind of a, an additional leg on, on the accessibility piece of kind of, are we doing a disservice to patients by not considering it? And that's sort of something that one of those things that keeps me up at night, I guess, that I keep yeah. kind of rambling on about. Yeah. Too, and I see that just, even, yeah. in, even within the coaching industry, you know, that's something that I'm like fairly passionate about is accessible pricing and like right. that, you know, the things like whether it's physical therapy or whether it's coaching shouldn't be luxuries for the wealthy. Right. Right. Um, and they should be something that everybody has access to, which is why just in my personal business, in my personal business, um, you know, I've made it a point. It's not that like y'all don't get confused. I have high ticket premium priced offer. And a lot of people think that I don't because I talk so much about this because I don't have anything against high ticket or premium pricing or any of these things. But for me, it's important to also have lower priced offers and a variety of different payment plans. And just like we talked about with the other accessibility, when people come to me and say like, hey, I need this, is this possible to, to do financially so that I can be a part of this work? I don't know that I've ever told someone no when it's been like a respectful offer that made sense, right? Now, when someone comes to me and says like, I really love your work, but I can't afford it. Would you be willing to work for, with me for free, right? I'm usually like, yeah, no, <laughs> right? Um, Not that I have not worked with people for free before, because I definitely have worked with multiple people on like a pro bono basis, but it's never been because they've asked for that, right? It's been something that has, has developed naturally, something that I have offered. Um, But I've had plenty of people say like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I can't, can we break this down into weekly payments or can this be uh, a 12 month payment plan instead of a six month payment plan, or, you know, even I won't be able to, you know, pay for this for two weeks. What would you accept as a deposit now? And then I'll pay it off in two weeks. Right. And just being willing to have those conversations again with people and make yourself a safe space where people can ask for what they need. And it's not that we always have to say yes, right? It's not that we always have to do what everybody else wants or dictate, but most of the time people just want help and they just want to be able to have access to something that they feel is going to benefit them. And so what can we do, whether it's therapists or coaches or whatever, to 
to help make that happen for people in ways that can feel good for everybody. Right. And I mean, I fully get it. And I, people talk about this a lot in coaching, you know, I, there's always, you know, there's a time and a place for the Chanel's and the, the Louis Vuitton's and the, the Hermes's of the world. Um, and there's some coaches that are like that, that only have very high ticket services. They maybe only take pay in full. They don't offer payment plans, things like that. And I mean, if that's your brand, if you want to be the Chanel of coaching, like go for it. Um, I'm a little bit more of a target girl. And so, (laughs) I mean, listen, we can spend a lot of money at target. You let someone lose their right. Exactly. $500 later. It's Like, Like, trust me, I'm not hurting because I have people on payment (laughs) plans. I am not hurting because some of my offers are only, you know, a hundred or $200 a month. Like that's not hurting my bottom line. We're still talking multiple six figures, multiple five figures, cash per month guaranteed. So it's like, there's ways that you can be fully accessible and still make a fuck ton of money, right? You can go to target and get a shirt for $20. Target is not hurting. They are not, you know, the the cost of their items versus, you know, like a Chanel or a Gucci is not, it's not hurting them. They're still doing good business. And so, you know, it's just really about, for me, it's about creating space for everybody. Um, so what, you came in because you wanted to go private practice and you knew you were, you were the reason you were all that was in your way, which is like <laughs> always the case for all of us, right? At the end yeah. of the day, like, and this sounds silly coming on the back of the accessibility conversation, but I think y'all will get what I mean when I say this, like at the end of the day, usually like we're the only thing that's keeping us from what we want, Right. So much of it. We're our we're our own problem. It's our own thoughts, our own beliefs, our own fears, right? That keep us from like really going for what we want. Um, and so we met through some human design work. And then what was the did you come into attention whore? Was that the first one you did with me? I did, yes. So crazy. So yeah, so that was like literally a year ago because we just started attention whore again this year um, for another live round. And, you know, I remember we did attention whore last summer and then we came right on the back end of that with the play day payday. And I know that that was an interesting time for you because this was like a new way of thinking and being. Yeah. Yeah, I had a lot too, and I'm still working on all the time, but to unpack around uh, sort of like workaholism or workaholism. I don't ever know how to make that into that form of the word. Workaholism. Sure. There we go. Um, And sort of this hustle mentality, having lived in New York City, like my plan, I was working at a hospital where I had a six figure salary and my private practice. And my plan was to like match my salary so that I could then eventually leave my job like in one to three years right like my plan was to like work a 40 hour a week job and have my private practice on the three three days off that I had from work because I did like four 10 hour shifts and like also travel the world and like do a whole bunch of other stuff and then you know March and April like of 2020 sort of was a good time Um, and that was like right before I had met you, but basically I ended up sort of because of all the work in the self-development space and a lot of that with you kind of figuring out, like I needed to take better care of myself, Mm -hmm. um, and like not push myself to like the max limit like let's see how far we can take this physical vessel until I kind of combust and and sort of went on a radical in radical opposition to that of like how little can I do because I need to be doing very little right now for my health um where I kind of was spending a lot of of days horizontal because 
there wasn't availability for my body to do much more than that um, as I was and am in recovery of a, a significant health issue. And so that was kind of an interesting time where it went from like attention hoard to, what was it like play day, payday yeah, and kind of all these like fun names and like this energetic sort of work and like that money can be like a fun thing was new to me. Um, Money sort of had had this more like difficult or stressful or like hard work involved kind of message Mm. Um, at the same time as like in my profession, I do what I do and it's not for the money. So like, there's this like juxtaposition of like New York city and like make as much money as you can until you explode but also I'm not in it for the money, but also like, there's just kind of these conflicting thoughts that exist at the same time um, that, that sort of lurk up. And then it's kind of, well, if I am making a lot of money, like, what does that mean about me as this healthcare professional where like, we're not supposed to be perceived as wanting to make a lot of money because that means like, we can't, be compassionate at the same time it's it's kind of a funny which is so weird because like didn't our mothers all want us to marry doctors because they were rich and had money right they didn't care if they were compassionate though so I'm not sure why they were trying to marry us off to a bunch of rich like maybe questionably compassionate uh (laughs) doctors right um I mean and now so I mean I know we went through that and there it was a, a weird place. Cause you were coming out of like this big hustle, New York city culture, right. And working and then going through a health crisis and, you know, then recovering. And you know, my jam is like, let's work as little as possible. Yes. It's been very <laughs> fun to like observe and, and witness and also like see you as a case study of like, it's fun for you to figure out how to do as little as possible. And, and I've seen this somewhere and I forget who said it. And I, I want to say it was like Elon Musk, but I could be entirely wrong of like, you want someone to get the job done like efficiently and as quickly as possible, like hire someone who like wants to be lazy because they will like figure out how to like BS the whole day and then get it done like in in an hour and like, you know, that sort of thing. And so it's like, I've always been a procrastinator. I've always been a sort of like, I would wake up at like four in the morning in high school to write a paper before school. Like, and I wouldn't do it the night before I also was working, you know, after school and like had other stuff, but even still like that has persisted of like last minute things, despite me saying like, it would make a lot more sense to like pace this out. No, no. Like it's, it's all like a last minute flurry. Um, and it is what it is. And so I, I've, I'm learning to like allow for space and time for that. For example, if I'm writing, uh, an abstract to submit to a conference for a presentation, I know I'm not going to do it until the day it's due. So we might as well leave myself like five hours to work on it, which really becomes two hours. And then I submit it with five minutes left. Right. But also to be in acceptance and approval of the fact that you're going to do it right the day of because I think where we go wrong is that you you know you're a procrastinator you know you're not going to do it till the day of but for the all the weeks prior between when you realize you need to do it and when the due date is and the day of when you're actually going to do it we often enter into these like shame scenarios, right? Where we're like, oh, I really should be doing this. I shouldn't be watching TV. I shouldn't be taking a nap. I should be doing this. And we shoot all over ourselves and we shame ourselves and we make ourselves feel bad for it. When it's like, you could have been enjoyed those, that entire two weeks being free (laughs) and lazy just by accepting the fact that, you know what, I am going to do this the day of, and then not stressing you out by maybe clearing that whole day on your calendar, or like you said, making sure that you're leaving yourself ample time for whatever the thing is. And some of this, I feel like is just accepting, like, I love a good shortcut. 
I am never right. going to turn the shortcut down. I'm never going to do it the long and hard way. If I can find out the, like the quick and dirty way to do it. Never, ever, ever. And that goes for my business and how many hours that I work to the way that before I had team, I would just like make Google doc sales pages with paypal.me links. Right. And I gave zero Fox and people still signed up for my programs because I wouldn't yep. subscribe to the idea that I had to spend hours laboring over a website, doing tech that I hated doing that literally makes me cry. Um, like literally makes me cry because I didn't want to bother my team quote unquote, like a week or two ago for something and just tried to do it myself and ended up having to like vox in tears because I was so, cause I'm just not good at that stuff. So like lesson for me and for all the leaders, like there's a reason why you delegate your shit. So delegate your shit. You're not helping anyone by not delegate. <laughs> um, like if there's people that you're paying to do things, have them do the things so that you're not crying and then leaving crazy voxers in a hot mess because like you weren't helping anyone, but, um, but yeah, like I'm always like, I was always there to hack it. I was always there to figure out how I could expand my income and my business and have the impact that I wanted to make and make the money that I wanted to make, but in like the least amount of time possible, because let's be real, particularly at this stage in my life, I'm going to be 38 this year. I, um, not married not in a partnership at the current time that I record this. Um, we're always available for that to change at any given moment. Um, I've got three kids that I homeschool, right? Like I don't want to be working 40, 50 hours a week. I just don't want to be doing it. To be honest with you, I don't want to be working 30 hours a week. I don't really want to be working 20 hours a week. And I love what I do. What I do doesn't even really feel like work so much. Like this is work technically. And like, this just feels like having a conversation with somebody about that. We could, we could so easily be having this conversation over Instagram voice notes or Voxer or just on a FaceTime or something like that. These are the kind of conversations we have all of the time. And somehow this is my work. And I still just don't want to be locked into my computer and client calls all of the time, right? The tagline for the play day payday was life's not meant to, life was meant to be lived, not worked. And so when you come in, you know, when you came into my space fresh off this health crisis and trying to figure out how you could make life work and make money work while like not doing the things, it was just like a perfect match because I was like, great. We love, we hate doing the things here. Like, <laughs> of course, we're always going to show up and we're going to do the things that need to get done, but we're going to do them in the most efficient way. We're going to figure out exactly what we need to focus on to make things work, to move the needle, to drive the business and the money and everything forward. And then we're going to do nothing fucking else. We are not going to do any extras. We are not trying to earn brownie points here. Nobody gets any stickers or cookies for laboring harder. In fact, like you labor just the bare minimum and then you eat cookies. Like that's how this goes in my <laughs> world, right? And now you're basically a pleasure queen. I mean, sure, I'll, I'll work on taking ownership of that. But all of that is what really like drew me to you from like your value standpoint and like what was very evident because I was like coming out of having been burnt out ish it's it's an interesting phrase but having had a lot of difficulty with overworking and doing above and beyond my job description for 8000 different reasons that it didn't weren't necessary really but it was just kind of this cycle i was stuck in um to switching to a job where like literally i was just there on the clock maybe 30 minutes over which was intentional in terms of switching um within my profession to a field that a little allowed that. And then meeting you. And, and I remember when you were deciding to like create the payday play day in like last July, you were just like, I don't know. I think I'll have this program and it might be this long. We might have this many calls and this is like what it's called. And like, this is the gist of it. And like, that's it. And I was like, great. Tell me, like, let me know when to pay you because like, I was so tired of being at work two hours extra for like no good reason other than the way the system was set up that I was working in didn't support the way that I worked mm. because I didn't 
have shortcuts that made things more efficient for me. And there, the feedback to make things more efficient was very slow because there were so many cogs in the wheel and whatever. And the way I like to work with my patients one-on-one, when you're bringing a chronic issue to me, or you have a history of cancer, or you've had a recurrence, and this was kind of the reality of where I was working is these are very emotional things to, to discuss and work on or, or work on managing a chronic issue. And I like to make eye contact the entire session. So I'm not typing like your physician does for their 10 minute annual checkup with you. I I'm sitting there and we're doing one-on-one or we're doing hands-on things or, or we're just making eye contact and one of us is crying or both of us, um, mostly the patient, but, but sometimes both of us. And so, um, you know, things like that led me to, to not want to do like my documentation on the session during the session or not feel like it was a good use of my time that I valued, but in turn kind of getting chided or scolded for not having my documentation done within the session, which was the standard to meet. And it didn't necessarily matter, but it was kind of that the way I like to work just didn't fit into where I was working. And so hearing that there was this other world, this other life, this other way that like existed beyond just what I was seeing in the physical therapy culture of kind of like work, 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 like do as much as you can and then like slow down. And I'm like, no, like I need to slow down right now. Like I actually cannot sustain the pace I was doing. My patients with walkers are walking faster than I am right now. Mm -hmm. So like I literally cannot do this pace anymore and like cannot really be what I knew to be a New Yorker anymore. Like I sort of like had an identity crisis and I was Mm. like, cool, well, let's try to be someone else for a little while and like see what feels good or see what fits. And I tried on a lot of hats this last year to find my way back to kind of whoever I was without all of the extra stuff on and some stuff fit and some stuff was not me at all. And that was a very interesting trial and error. Um, for me to, to go through and then find kind of the collection of humans that you're around and be like, Oh, other people are also doing this thing where like this topic on procrastination or this reclaiming of the word lazy, which has been used against me on occasion of we're not just going to lay there on the couch and be lazy. Like your expectation is to do X, Y, Z has been said to me. And like, that's a difficult pill to swallow when being upright makes you short of breath or like other interesting things. Right. So kind of being around humans and following deeper down that rabbit hole of people who say like, actually my goal is to do as little as possible and in the way you've done it and some others like in an equitable and accessible way where it's not just like I do as little as possible because it's $10,000 for an hour of my time. Like, no, like there are reasonable ways to see me. Um, and so I can do as little as possible. And so like for something that's like really important for me is kind of the pro bono or the nonprofit side of things. And I had been giving away sessions for free and I still do when it feels like it makes sense to me, but also kind of leveraging relationships I had built prior to really exiting employment where I have nonprofits that pay me my rate and the patient pays zero. And so now it's kind of, I can do the best of both worlds of have the accessibility, but also make sure like my needs are met that I, I, while I am quite magical and like money shows up and all sorts of things, having every session be $0 isn't quite line up exactly. Right. Um, so, you know, we did these couple programs and, you know, you got to see that there is a different way. There's a whole other magical world where we... Right do none of the things and make all of the money. Just kidding. I mean, I joke around and I say things like that, but like anybody who knows me knows that like I get shit done, right? You work very hard and you move fast. Yeah. I am just, I move fast. I'm intentional. I'm efficient. And I am, I'm a good executor. And I think that that's what it takes. If you want to be able to scale a business and make a lot of money without having to do a lot of work, one of the 
the biggest skill sets that you need to cultivate is like executive function, which I fully understand for some people, that is a huge struggle, right? But the ability to see something and just like make a decision and go with it and trust yourself that like, it's going to be the right decision. And if not, and you fucked it up, well, you'll deal with it when you fuck it up and then you'll clean it up and it'll all be fine and you can fix it. Right. That's like one of the biggest, um, you know, while trying to condense my time while expanding my income, one of the things that, you know, I had to adopt in order to do that in a way that felt good and that didn't feel procrastinating and that didn't feel like we were always down to the wire and rushing on things was adopting that mantra of like, there's no emergencies in business. Right. And being willing to just take ownership of like, this is the thing that makes the most sense. So that's what we're going to go with right now. And like, if that is not the thing and that's not how it actually all works out, like it's going to be okay. We can pivot, we can adjust knowing that like anything we do, no one email, no one social media post, no one landing page or sales page, no graphic, no launch, no client hiccup or, you know, in the interaction or the experience, like none of that is going to make or break my business unless I decide to let it, unless I decide to let a mistake that gets made or a dumpster fire that occurs to psych me out and make me quit. This episode and conversation was so juicy and good that we just could not possibly cut it off. So make sure that you come back next week and listen to part two of my conversation with Dr. Andrea Leifer. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Redefine the Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, head over to iTunes and leave a review. And now that you've heard what I have to say, I want to hear your thoughts. Let's continue the conversation over on Instagram or in my free Facebook group, Redefine the Community, where you'll find dozens of hours of free trainings and daily tips on human design, embodied leadership, and pleasure-based business and living. I've dropped the links in the show notes, so head there for all the ways we can continue to connect. See you next episode.